Hey, good evening, everybody. John Henry Soto here, along with George Batista. Welcome to Counterparts, uh, where we spotlight conversations on creative minds and awesome human beings. And today we have a really awesome dude who's done some great, great work uh, salvaging and saving and displaying um, drums from and just sound effects. It's just so much. It's so much stuff that I'm. I'm going to just stop talking because I'll get tongue tied. I want him to explain everything, but it's really awesome. And I just want to say happy birthday to George Batista. Today is his uh, birthday. So thank you, happy sir. Birthday. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you very much. So hang tight. We got uh, Tim Northup coming in and uh, we're going to have a great time. I have to like remind myself that when we're starting a show, I get so tongue tied because I want to already start. Mm -hmm. I start talking about the guests and I want to say, and then I'm like, oh, wait, we have to start. So <laughs> I apologize for that. But yeah, it's going to be a great show. Tim's Absolutely. on. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. Yeah. So why don't we uh, just get started because we got a lot to cover, George. Let's right. turn it over to you. Okie doke. So the counterpart show is brought to you by Wellness Resources, a family owned and operated nutritional supplement company providing the highest quality quality clinically formulated supplements since 1985 i use those supplements every single day so find out why i use them and many people use them make sure you go to myvitaminresource.com and if you enter the promo code counterparts you will get free shipping on all orders so check it out all right, so let's talk a little bit about our guest, and I am extremely excited as a musician, as a drummer. This is very, very exciting for me. We're going to be talking to Mr. Timothy Northup. So Tim is a drummer, vintage drum historian, educator, and museum curator. He got his first job at an auction house at age 15, where he learned about the antiques business, and by the age of 18, he started his own business. His love of jazz and vintage drums led him to put together an impressive, very large collection of rare, important vintage drums and percussion accessories, all on display that you can actually play in his own personal drum museum. The Northup Drum Museum, uh, located in Oneonta, New York, features 100 years of drums and percussion history on display. And Tim was also recently featured in Modern Drummer Magazine, highlighting the museum, Tim's love of drums, drum restoration, and music history. And this is going to be a fantastic uh, conversation with him. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tim Northup. Yes. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we have a lot to cover. Um, you know, it's George is a is a drummer. I'm, I'm a guitar player. George and I have been playing music since we were since we were kids. And so whenever we get and we're we're fascinated with just the instruments itself, you know, because there's the there's the players, and then there's the, the 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 lovers of the actual instrument themselves. And we love the instrument, and we talk about. I mean, I think George and I have had. <laughs> you probably can 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 understand of having a five hour conversation about about <laughs> about, about music, and it just yeah, flies by, and you're just like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. So thank you so much for being here. It's an, it's, it's really awesome. Great so, to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So what we're going to do is um, I'm going to turn it over to George. George is going to ask a couple of questions. We're going to kind of start start the conversation, and then we're just going to have some fun. Perfect. Absolutely. So again, thank you for coming on. And like I said, I had the pleasure of visiting the museum and uh, awesome. with, with, with Tim and Mr. Steve Smith as well. We had a fantastic time. It was really, I, I really enjoyed it. It was one of the highlights of my life, really. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I definitely recommend people checking it out. So a little about Tim, I, I, I want to know, I mean, you started young. I mean, you started, you know, you had, obviously you you had the the mindset of starting a businesses at young uh, you know at a very young age and then you i know you're you're obviously a drummer a musician as well talk talk to us a little bit about you know growing up and and not only starting businesses but then also your fascination with drums and just music in general yeah so i started playing drums just like a lot of kids do at age nine years old that's when you could start at my grade school you could take drum lessons and cool. you, know, you started playing on a practice pad and you know, I, I, my mom wanted me to play drums. I did not want to do it. So wow. I, it's usually the I, other way around. This is all happening. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to play the drums. She goes, I want you to play the drums. So we go to the school, wow. then we get the practice pad, the sticks, the book, the breeze easy method, right? And mm -hmm. you do your quarter notes. And every Sunday night I had to practice. So they'd send me down in their bedroom to practice. And I, I hated it. And I said, I don't want to do this. I want to play. She said, so I said, they, my parents sat me down and said, I'll tell you what, you have to do it for six months. And then if you don't like it, you can quit. And I thought that was fair. Okay. That's a good deal. I'll yeah. quit after six months. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That didn't quite that happen. Pretty long six months. Yeah. Well, as you go along, you know, you start to be able to play and then you go, wow, this is kind of cool. And then, you get your first drum. I didn't get a drum set. I got a snare drum, which I still own, by the way. Oh, wow. My first wow. was a Slingerland Radio King. And it, we, my dad bought it from a guy he rode to work with. He was a factory worker. He rode to work with this guy. And, and he said, Mike, you know, my son's playing drums. He needs a drum. And he goes, oh, my kid plays drums, too. But he bought a new set. He's got the snare drum that I got him used. Um, we'll sell it to you for $35. So it's Champagne Sparkle. Radio, nice. sling, radio King snare drum. And and so that's been my drum forever. That was my first drum and I still have it. It's here on display. Wow. So that's when you start so cool. snare drum, you're like, oh, wait, this is cool. And then you save your money up and you buy a drum kit. And then it's right. even cooler. So, you know, just progressed. And, and I and I did that all through, you know, high school. And then it was time to get a job. You know, in high school, my dad's like, we're well, not going to lay around all summer. You need a job. So yeah. there was an auction house a mile away from my house that I could ride my bike to because I didn't have a license. I was 15 years old. I didn't, didn't drive. My cousins had worked there and they're like, oh yeah, the, the guy was actually the mayor of our town at one time, Jim Lettuce. And uh, he was a great guy. A great, he was a great, he was a character. He was a great auctioneer and a, and a real, you know, cool, cool guy, cool character. So I started working there. He took me under his wing. And uh, what I discovered working at the auction was, I could remember things. I have like a photographic memory. So I could watch something be sold and kind of memorize what it was and approximately what it was worth. And I saw it then at the next auction, maybe bring half as much money. And I was like, hmm, there's some profit there. So I, I learned quickly what to buy, how to buy it with a little bit of money I made at the auction. But, you know, I, I would do it and, and turn things over and 
And so that kind of helped that this photographic memory. I could remember stuff. So that's how I got in the antique business. Wow. Uh, it, it ropes you in because the antique business yeah. is like what I call treasure hunting. You're always looking right. for a score, something mm -hmm. that's undervalued, underpriced, that you know what it is and nobody else does. Or the seller doesn't right. really know what it's worth. And that's the fun part of the antique. And that's the fun part of collecting drums, too. You can do the same thing. And that's how I applied right. it to this business. Yeah. You know, not the collection. Yeah, it's, a, it's the story behind it, too, because it's, it's, you know, it's come a long way before it's, you know, you've actually been able to hold it and see it. And so oh, yeah. getting that story and piecing that together has got to be also part of the fascination and part of the joy of it. It is. And so basically I played drums through high school, went to college for music industry and art history. Two things, again, blended together. Right. Um, <laughs> played tons of music in college. That's when I really played a lot of music was in college because I, I had a band director that was excellent and he, uh, took me under his wing again. He said, Hey, we need drummers and all these things, community band and, you know, get, get your music, your, uh, your card, you know, your musician's card and you can get hired and play music all over. So I did. So I was a union mm. musician and wow. I played all over the place. I remember opening my little band, my jazz band opened for a, a car dealership with a real swanky, uh, party <laughs> that they had, you know, just all kinds of you know, all this crazy stuff, you know, and to make yeah. money to, to buy to pay for college and, you know, do whatever else you're going to do. So I was playing music and selling antiques and working at the auction throughout my whole, you know, 15 to 25 years old or so. And then, uh, then real life happens and you have to work, you know, you actually have to get a job and so forth and so on. And the drums kind of in my, the, at that time got put away. I didn't play for quite a long time. And then I, renovated this barn it was my grandparents dairy barn that's where the drums are which people don't know that but george talked about it you drive up and you're like this can't be it but it's yeah. a, it's, a, <laughs> it's our family farm that my grandparents uh, bought this place in 1942 and they lived here their whole life so we our family's been here 80 years and so wow. you know they, this this barn had cows in it and and you know they milked cows and there was hay in the top part and i put lots of hay away in my day but anyway when they were done with it, you know, I basically repurposed it to what my life suited my life, which is was an art gallery at first. It wasn't a drum museum. This was like my antique business in here. Right. And I was had an online business and an eBay store, which I, I did a podcast recently where I talked about that. I said, well, eBay used to be the place where a lot of drums were found. A lot of, right. good, you know, people put them on eBay and, you, you know, that's so I was running a business out of here where guys were bringing me stuff to sell and I was doing it on commission. And uh, I said to them, Hey, bring me musical instruments, drums, especially. I know a lot about drums, guitars, trumpets, saxes, cause they all sell on eBay. So they started bringing me stuff and they started bringing me drums. And this is how I got collecting drums. I had, a, I had collected a little bit, you know, and when I built the barn, when we renovated the place, my cousin and I did all the work and we renovated and I had one room here and he said, what do you want to do with that room? I said, you know what? I want to get back into playing drums. I want a drum studio. I want a drum studio where I can go in at one o'clock in the morning and play the drums and nobody's going to like tell me I can't. Oh, what a dream. Right. A soundproof yeah. room. You built a soundproof room and I got a great video of George and Steve in there playing those two yeah. kids. Yeah. I know. I've seen, I've seen the video. <laughs> 
Right. So I we built a soundproof studio. I put two drum kits in there, and I started playing drums again. My guys wow. were bringing me drums, and I was selling. Well, a picker had brought me this beautiful Gretsch round badge, but it was a real early. It was like 30s, real deep snare drum, and it was in the trap case, all the stuff. And I kept it for a while, and I bought it from him, and I kept it for a while. Then I said, eh, I need money. I put it on eBay, and it sold, and it went to Germany to another playing museum, similar to this one, where you can go and pick your instrument and play. But as soon as I sold that drum, I put it in the box. As I was putting it in the box, I go, what am I doing? I should be hmm. buying these drums, not selling these drums. And that was like a light bulb went off, ding. And right. that was the day that I started collecting drums. And then I went, I started studying the catalogs, Ludwig catalogs, Leedy catalogs, all the old catalogs that I could get online and look at, that you could look at for free. And I bought, I remember buying the Ludwig book, the Slingerland book, you know, and I started yeah. just reading the books and just studying and then watching eBay because I was on there all the time anyway, selling stuff. So I'm like, all right, let's see what's on there. And I remember buying my first trap kit and it's still here. It's the, uh, one of these painted bass drum heads. It's a ship silhouette and it had everything with it. And I think I paid 600 bucks for it or something. And I got it and I was just as happy as could be because I said, I, you know, these old drums look so cool. Yeah. I got to have a set of these, you know? Right. right. And so, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's also like two sides to like, to it because there's the, the there's the drummers that George and I that we all know right there's uh, Buddy Rich and Grouper and and Roach and all those guys that we know but then there's another history way bef way before them that sure. a lot of people don't know you know and I was I was fascinated because I was looking at the the drum set you have it's a 1936 um, Leedy I think it's called a uh, wind windmill yes. Um, and 1936, but it's a full kit. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm blown away that there's a full kit in 1936. And I'm wondering how early back can you go to find an actual kit? <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the kits that are in here and the kind of the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Get into that, because that's good. So basically, Civil War period on, you know, the, the drummers, it was still a Man, a guy playing a snare drum, a guy playing a bass drum, and a guy playing cymbals. You needed three drummers Indeed, so yeah. to do that job for an, like an orchestra or a band. As time went on, you know, things innovated, and, and the drummer, I guess the guy said, well, the, the bass drum guy didn't show up, the cymbal guy didn't show up, so the snare drummer standing there, he goes, now what do I do? He figured out how to do double drumming, which was playing a bass drum and a snare drum at the same time, and then, well, let's stick a holder on the bass drum and have a cymbal. I can play all three. That's how the kit got put That's together how, yeah. by accident because drummers get drunk and they don't show up for work, right? <laughs> so nothing's changed. Yeah, yeah, pretty so much. Nothing's really changed, you know? So I think that's really, that's how the kit got put together. So in here, we kind of go from 1900, I say like 1920 to 2020 when it was 2020, I said, this is cool. It'd be a hundred year anniversary thing. And I, and I did a display of a hundred years of drumming. Wow. Because that's when a kit really got put together was in the teens and 20s is really okay. before it started being marketed by, well, Ludwig, 1909, I think Ludwig put out their first catalog. And they showed up a, a bass drum and a snare drum with a cymbal on it. And that was it. That's a, That was a kit. And a Chinese Tom. So we'll talk about times. You say that kit has is a full kit. It is, except it has Chinese Toms, not 
right. regular. And the Chinese time, time. Is, is a tack tom. Um, actually, right here, I'll just grab one real quick. So a Chinese tom looks like this. It's very decorative, and it's it's oh, tacked wow. head, top and bottom, and it's it's actually made in China in in you know 1920. And wow. Ludwig imported these. Uh, and all the companies did, and they put their sticker on them sometimes. I have several in here that has the Ludwig sticker right on it. But this was a tom that went on a snare drum, and a bit like this bass drum. Actually, this bass drum came with a tom just like this. This wow. is a very rare, this is a Ludwig Moose bass drum from 1928. And when this was sold, I, I got bought, bought the whole kit complete and I had a Chinese tom just like this with it and a black beauty snare drum. So that was wow. what you had. For, they were really sound effects, and they. They sound really good. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's how it, that was a kit. And then they made bigger toms, like floor toms and stuff. So you could right. get an array of sound effect toms. That was the first kit. But the first yeah. kit was a bass drum, snare drum, no hi hat yet, uh, a choke cymbal that you would play. And then, so that's like the ragtime 20s music, you know, and it's mm -hmm. very, it's very different to play. And, uh, you know, Steve Smith comes here and, and we'll talk about that in great detail i'm sure but you know he can play every style you know because he's yes. just so yes. great you know yes. and i right. didn't know if he could i mean he's a rock drummer that's what i knew as a very and a very good jazz drummer with vital information but i didn't know if he could play this early stuff but we'll talk about how he did that here right. later on when we talk about his visit but um he, he was great so it's it's a different kind of drumming for sure as you yeah. know george being a yes. drummer it's you have to really you look at these kits you're like can you really play this thing? I, you know, yeah. but he knows that you really can, and they sound really yeah. cool. Um, yeah, I was I was shocked when I first got there, and when when I and I and you know I I was just and I remember because I'm staring at the kid and I'm taking the pictures of, of the kids when I first walked in the room, and you were like, George, go behind and play it, and I was like. I can actually play it. I can actually play it. And <laughs> it was so weird, especially with the blocks, the temple blocks and all this. And I'm like, I have never, I mean, I've seen pictures of it, never yeah. played a kit like this before, right. you know? And this is where we, I just said, okay, let's start, you know, jamming around right. and see what happens. But it's just an amazing, and they sound incredible. Right. Now, what I wanted to ask you about, um, because I know, you know, you see the pictures on, on these, on these bass drums and these kits and stuff like that. So talk a little bit about the history of the actual artwork on these yep. drums, because I know they have to be painted a certain way, right? In yeah. order for those yeah. things to not like fall apart, right? Yeah. So that's the next period we'll talk. So we, we started in the 1920s. So we'll go right to like 1925, 20. That's about when the first painted head started showing up. So calfskin is kind of a live thing. As you know, if you have a calfskin uh, head on your snare, if it's real humid out, real wet, rainy day, the calfskin will take on whatever temperature's in the room. So it'll get like, it's, they're hard wow. to tune sometimes. So the bass drums, that's a big piece of cap. So yeah. what we think happened was drummers wanted to get, their bass drum would be real throbby, like you couldn't get a good tune out of it. So they started putting light bulbs in them and heaters in them and stuff to, to warm them up, to kind of dry up that calf to make it too, easier to tune. Right. So somebody said, well, let's paint a scene on it. You know, if you're going to light the bass drum head, let's paint something on it. So somebody started doing that. And, and then the, the companies jumped on it right away. And they actually came out with a catalog of scenes that you could buy in the catalog. So like the moose and, and this one here, this is an art deco scene, uh, Moonlight Silhouette, they would be like 10 to $15 extra added to your drum kit. So say your drum oh. kit was 150 bucks. 
Then for another 15, you can have a painted head put on. And that lasted from around 1925 to 1940 is the last one that we see in a catalog. And that's an elite mm, catalog. Okay. They're much, those are the Art Deco ones. So a lot of them are like mountain scenes. If you look at my website, you'll see them, but mountain scenes and, and uh, hula dancing girls. And there's all kinds of real cool ones. And there's some real yeah. odd ones, but, and you could also get your uh, a custom one painted by the company. But the way these are painted, the early ones, an artist just said, well, okay, it's like canvas, right? Like an oil on canvas, we'll just paint it. So they painted brush strokes. Well, the paint didn't stand because calfskin moves with the weather. Right. right? It, just, it flaked off, off, right? So somebody said, well, we got to do something different. That's not going to work. So they started doing stipple painting, which is taking a brush and cutting the end off blunt and then painting very little tiny, like, blotches but to make up so like this is very it's very thin paint but you can see through and they had to make it so the light could come through so a lot of times they had to paint the back of the head a certain color mm. oh, to, to make okay. the light come through where they wanted it to and not where the other places um so that's how that can and the way the reason why i started liking these painted heads is what's my background i'm an antique dealer which means you deal right. with art as well so paintings right. and i studied art and so I have an art background and I'm like, wow, these are really hand painted by artists, you know, even though they're the same scene over and over, they're still hand painted. They're beautiful. They look great lit up. I like these things. I'm going to collect them. And and that's, that's really how it happened. You know, Amazing. Uh, yeah. my, my, just my taste, my background said, these are cool. And now I've got a lot of, a lot of other people that have jumped on the bandwagon collecting a lot of people collecting them before me too, but there's yeah. some big out there you know so um, so each one even though it's the same scene but each one is still hand painted so they are yeah, they are unique and different yeah variation yeah, yeah. that's yeah, fascinating that's, yeah that's amazing so we're at uh uh what, what, 1925 to 1940 um, yep so to 1940. let me tell you what happened in the 30s so drums were innovating chinese times were starting to go away you can still order them but they started Gene Krupa. We're going to talk about Krupa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. He, in 1928, the Slingerland Drum Company put out their first catalog. Um, actually, it came out in 27, but it was 1928. They got in the drum business. And I, I'll give you a little background how they got in the drum business. Ludwig, who was already in the drum business for 20 years almost, decided to get in the banjo business. Well, Slingerland didn't like that. And they were always competing with the tanneries in Chicago for heads, for calfskin heads. And so they're always fighting for those anyway. So it was just a big kind of a battle. And Slingerland said, well, if you get in the drum business or the uh, banjo business, we might as well get in the drum business. So, and they did, wow. and they gave Goldberg a run for their money. Wow. So they entered the drum business. <laughs> a few years later, this young guy named Gene Krupa signs on with them. And then he, you know, we know his story. He became a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. And all yeah. he ever played were Slingerlands his whole life. But he yeah. was very innovative in the Slingerland company with saying, you know what, Chinese times are okay, but I'd like to be able to tune them. You know, music's changing. Um, he, he took away the temple blocks and all the, all the gas, gas, gadgets and gizmos and all the sound effects. And he also didn't like the painted heads. He had a clean head, but he said, I want my logo on there. So he developed the Art Deco logo that says GK with the stripes. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that yeah. hit the catalogs, painted heads were gone forever. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. 
did it because everybody wanted that, wanted their initials in yeah. that little. Right. right. It's the you trend, know, it's like, right? The trend happens. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, just like you fast forward to 1964 and the Beatles won the Ed Sullivan show with Ringo That's with right. his, and he wanted the Ludwig logo still on his kit and the Beatles. And then what happened? Ludwig got bombarded with orders yeah. the next day. Yeah. You know, so it yeah. just takes a superstar drummer to right. get featured and, you know, whatever they're playing, everybody, every kid wants to play it. Same thing happened with Vox. That was uh, the amplifier that, that they used on the Beatles and Vox just went through the right. roof. Right. After that. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. that's, that's amazing. So yeah. I wanted to, to, so we're, we're going to go down, down the line a little bit, but I also want to actually ask you a question overall, like, um, is there, would you say there's a definitive, um, book? I don't you know, Getty Lee recently put out a, a, a base book on, and it was just, he had bases from everyone's base and had stories behind it. And it was this big giant, massive book. Um, is there a definitive, thing, um, you know, book that you would actually recommend or something that you actually, uh, know of that actually documents what, what, like the work that you've done, or are you working on that yourself? <laughs> oh, everybody wants me to do a book on painted heads, but I don't know if that's yeah. going to happen. Uh, I am writing articles for Modern Drummer on at least five of my painted head kits and slingerland nice. kits. Oh, and nice! So they'll, be, they'll be featured each month for the next every other month for the next five months. So, oh great! Um, I'm starting to do some writing, which I didn't think I would ever do either, or shows like this. But you know, yeah, yeah. happen as you go through life. Um, there's a Rob Cook is a, a guy who's done a lot of research on all the drum companies, Slingerland, Ludwig, Leedy. He's put together some some of the best books, both history of the company, the mm. products they had with catalog pages. He's the guy, and you, you would go to his website, um, yeah. Rob, uh, rebeats.com. It's www.rebeats, R-E-B-E-A-T-S.com. And he has a company where he, he sells the books and you can pick a company. He's also got general, let's just collecting vintage drums and I'll have a little bit about each company yeah. in there, but he's, he's the guy. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody that can put out books like Rob Cook has. He's done a great yeah. job. So hats off to him. I'm not going to compete with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be able to compete with the, the painting. He, he wrote all the like, history. I'm not going to rewrite it, you know? <laughs> Actually, actually, he yeah. reached out to me recently because he's updating his section on painted drum heads. So he said, hey, you're the painted drum head guy from what I can see. What do you yeah. have that I don't and what do you know about things that I don't? And so we had a great conversation. I did come up with some things that he didn't know. And this one's wow. not cataloged. It's, it's on the cover of a catalog, but it's not in the catalog to buy. So we'll oh, add this one. Is yeah, it's a rare one. So we'll add that to his. We added wow. a few of a few of them to his um, page. So he's, he's so I am working with people like that are reaching out to me about things in the museum, saying, "Hey, you have one of these? Tell me about it because we don't have one. You know, what's it really yeah. like in person?" I've always been. I, my feeling is being an antique is you don't really know about an item until you hold it in your hands, right. play it. That you felt you find out so much more information than looking at a picture. Or something you can, you know, there's a lot more information there that you need to, to know. Right. Yeah, and I'm sorry, George, I'll, I'll let you yeah, ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things, like, you know, one of the things I said um, also when I came back from, from hanging out with you guys was that 
you you also like you get the hit, the the education of and, and that's it's really cool so you get not only you get to actually feel them and and play them and 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 see them but you also get the education behind it which you you do a great tour of of the museum you know talking about each piece and where it came from and all that which is which was beautiful it was an education for me big yeah. time um yeah. and my wife by the way now yeah. they, there's another the other thing that i love is that you you also collect these rare symbols and these rare, just different percussion instruments that you have. Talk a little about some of those symbols. Like I played the low boy for the first time. You know, I had only seen pictures of them, but I actually played one. And I was like, I was shocked. I was like, I can't believe this. You know, I've never, I've never actually seen one in person. So talk a little about some of those things that you, that you collect. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, you have your, you have your drum set, but all the sound effects that went with it from that time. I mean, you can have a drum museum filled. A lot, a lot of guys just collect snare drums. You know, I know so many guys that just collect, you know why? Cause it's easy. Bass drums right. are hard as shit. So they right. just collect <laughs> snare drums because there's a lot of them and that's snare drums are usually worth the most anyway. So they collect them. So, I decided, hey, I'm going to collect. I want to put these kits together the way they were in 1920s. What a drummer would have had on this kit. I need to have if this is really going to be a museum. And I just liked all those sound effect things. So the symbols, and I didn't bring any Bach in a box out here, but Bach in a box and their hand symbols that you play and all the different kinds of hi-hat type symbols that were mounted to kits before the hi-hat was even invented. Um, I do have something right here. So George talks about. The low boy played, well, this is the predecessor to the low boy. So look at that. <laughs> this is called a Charleston pedal wow. from Ludwig, made by Ludwig. And it's, it's yeah, it's made out of wood. Wow. <laughs> it was an afterbeat effect. And it, looked like, it looked like the Enterprise. <laughs> so this came out in like 1920, I think it hit the 25 or 27 catalog. And wow. then it didn't last very long because what George was talking about, people aren't going to know what you're talking about, low boy. Well, here's the low boy. This one was put up by Walbert and Ajay, but sold by Ludwig. It folds up. You can fold it up, but it's the same thing. It's that after beat. And did you see that I just gave Steve Smith one of these as a gift? Oh, wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, so Steve oh, wow. wanted one of these. We, we talked about it. I said, okay. And I polished one up really nice for him. And, and then I have a video of him playing it. I'll send it to you. But, oh, wow. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I, so anyway, so that's the kind of stuff that you're right. You don't see and, yeah. and you don't even know what it is. And it's like, what, what is this weird contraption? But it was what they had before they raised it up to be a hi-hat. You know, that, right. that's the predecessor. But yeah, yeah, all the hand symbols and all that stuff, that was, you can hear them in so many recordings. A lot of the, uh, going back to like Chick Webb, and mm -hmm. even Louis Armstrong songs, you can hear the hand symbols. They didn't even use no drums, just hand symbols on those recordings, some of them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. I want to go ahead. Oh, um, you're gonna ask. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to um talk a little bit about the, the actual drummers. Like we talked about Grouper. I wanted to talk about um Buddy Rich a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. you know, his influence just as a drummer i mean he was an all, all around entertainer right he was a funny guy he was a singer dancer he did acting he was you know he just did everything um but when he got behind the drums something happened that that's been and i even asked uh, i think we asked steve also yeah. like is he like is he the is he the best ever and steve was like yeah pretty much yeah 
like even <laughs> today he's blown away by it. You know, what was his impact in your opinion on just overall drums and music? I can tell you personally, personally, how he impacted me because I got to see him the year before he died. Now, you know, he was born in like 1912 or something. Well, anyway, he died mm -hmm. in 1987. Yeah, in 86, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in 86, he came to our local college and I was in high school. Uh, I think I was a senior in high school. And all my buddies were going. I said, oh, yeah, I want to go see Buddy Rich. So we all went to see Buddy Rich. And I probably would have quit playing drums <laughs> after high school had I not seen Buddy Rich. Really? That's wow. Funny. He changes your life, you know? Yes. It's not like I listened to him all the time, but I knew, of course, knew who he was. And, and I do feel, honestly, I will say this, and a lot of guys get really upset when I say this, but if you don't, I shouldn't say it like that. I feel he's the greatest drummer in the world ever. Mm -hmm. That's ever, he, it was God-given talent, okay? Right. Um, right. He didn't even read music, for crying out loud. So yeah. to be able to play like he could sit down and play a chart and not read it and play it with <laughs> perfect time with perfect access with perfect everything nobody can there's nobody that can do that you know and the fills and all the soloing and, and there's so many guys modern guys today like rolling stone magazine won't even put them on the top and it's like forget it they're so crazy but guys will say well he's, he's not the best well yes he he was in his time period in his genre he was yeah. and i and i really think gene came before him and was great too you know um and mm -hmm. chick webb him and buddy gives chick webb and gene a lot of credit especially chick you know because he listened yeah. to chick as a kid chick was crazy you know he was a great drummer chick webb and he only lived to 30 something years old he died in 1939 you know wow so um he was like 20 in his 20s but anyway buddy rich is the greatest drummer in the world yes yeah my opinion now people are yeah. gonna get upset but that's that's my personal opinion no, listen, George and I, George sometimes would just send me a clip. I'll send him a clip of something <laughs> that we just happened to see that, that I hadn't seen. He probably had seen it, but I got to send it to him and I got to share it because some of the things that he, um, it's an, it's a very emotional thing to watch and play. It's not yeah. just a technical thing. Now you can go on Instagram or you can go on these and you could see a 10 year old kid playing amazing, but, it, but there's something emotional about what, but he did, yeah. and, and it's funny you said that 1986 because there was that famous clip, and George and I talk about it all the time, where he's he's playing and he's got this like like a pinkish sweater or something, and he's playing, and there's his band is just staring at him. There's one young kid who's just he's in the band, but mm -hmm. he's staring at him, and Buddy yeah. is dripping sweat, yes. and he's oh, yeah. doing things that he's the greatest that ever lived. I mean, I can't imagine anyone coming close to that right now it's uh it's unbelievable blown if, away if, if you watch the one at him at the hague over in mm -hmm. uh, Switzerland, mm -hmm. that there's a there's a solo he does and he's playing so fast he's playing this song so fast and and just it's a ludwig kit with just a super fine snare drum but he's playing these rim shots and just out of snare drum and then he does this tom fill and i'm just watching this thing going that's that's like impossible. To that's yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and then there's so many other great solos before that. And then he was a little bit older then, but like even when he was younger, um, yeah. he, was, you know, he usually played Slingerlands. He had, you know, he went through different companies, but I've got right. Slingerland yeah. Buddy Rich Kid, which you have a great photo behind it, right, George? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I got to play uh, the, yeah. the kit, which was like, 
I, I, you know, I sit there and I couldn't even, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, holy cow. I was just so shocked that I was even on this kid. And you also have, which was, which I loved. And Steve Smith talked about it, a snare drum, which was actually given to him by, by Slingerland that he hated. Right. Can yeah. you tell a little bit about that story? <laughs> we'll quote Steve Smith because he told the story the best since it was his, you know, for a time. So yeah, he yeah. got it from Joey De Denoya. That's that was Buddy mm -hmm. Rich. And uh, uh, the snare drum. So <laughs> it was Buddy Rich's 60th birthday. So Slingerland had some kind of little ceremony for him, you know, because he was an endorser at that time. And they're like, hey, Buddy Rich, you know, he's sold a lot of drums for us. So they make the snare drum. And as Steve said, it's a piece of crap. You know, they took a, a 1960s drum and they put Radio King uh, lugs on it, Radio King rims, and kind of made it look like an old Radio King drum. And they did put a nice engraved plaque saying, Happy birthday, happy 60th birthday, buddy, from the Drum Company. And they had a ceremony. They handed it to him. He might have played it. We don't even know if he did. He walks off stage. He hands it to his valet and he goes, get this piece of out of my sight. I never want to see it again. They should have given me a trip to Hawaii for all the drums. Oh, no. It might have been just a tribute piece and not necessarily a, a, a play, but he probably just felt it and it was just like, get this thing. <laughs> That's what they gave him for his 60th birthday after he been birthday. Several he's several times. So probably thousands and thousands of drum sets that he's uh, personally have sold. Of is this was this one of his sets? Is that uh... yeah? That's that's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. the thing was, he gave those sets away all the time. So probably Slingerland was a little upset with him because every time he went on, <laughs> on the road, they had to ship new ones from a music store because he kept getting. If a kid came up and he liked the kid. He'd be like, yeah, I'm keeping my symbols, but take the drums. He'd give he'd put his drum set away. You know, you just Gene, give Cooper, away. He, Gene Krupa played the same drums for like years. He only had about maybe six or eight sets his whole career, maybe a dozen. But Buddy wow. had tons because he just, yeah, he's like, ah, you like that set? Take it. Slingerland, and he calls someone, send me another set, you know? Probably, he probably did that a lot more after they gave him that uh, snare that he didn't like. Yeah, I'm sure. You're like, I'm going to get them every, back. Right? Yeah. Every single one, take away, take it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, so that um, lives here at the museum. You can come, you can see it, you can you can play it if you want. You know, uh, it's here. Yeah, that's you can so play cool. that kit that you just showed the picture of. That's a Buddy Rich model, and yeah. there's a cool story that we'll talk about backstories. I bought this from a drum shop in Vegas, who said that they bought it from a woman who. Uh, Buddy Rich had given it to her kid and he had used it not on stage because it's not his stage kit, but it was used at a music store doing a drum clinic. And so he went mm -hmm. to a music store and they, every music store, major music store had to keep a Buddy Rich Slingerland drum. If you were Slingerland endorser, you had to keep a Buddy Rich kit in stock just in case he came to town and wanted to do a clinic. Or if he gave one away, you might have to sub it, you know, sub oh, his wow. set. Right. That's the story I got. So I, I don't have any wow. I have some documentation, but not like foolproof. But it's a great story. And it wow. is a buddy kit from, from the late 60s, you know, when he was an endorser again with them. And um it, it's a fun set to play, and it sounds just like the records, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, it's it's incredible. Um 
another thing I wanted to uh, talk about was um, you were recently featured in Modern Drummer. You had a you had a great article uh, in Modern Drummer. So talk about you know the feeling of being in Modern Drummer because I mean you know as a drummer that's like you know that's okay. like a huge deal, that, that, right? The Bible. <laughs> thing that here, okay, so my friends and family that really don't people that don't understand what Modern Drummer getting in Modern Drummer for a drummer is. Here's how I. <laughs> tell them the story i say okay just think about it just say you played baseball in high school and college but never made it to the pros right and then 30 years later you get inducted in the baseball hall of fame as a baseball player <laughs> that's, that's what that's, it was like for exactly. me yeah. no that's what it's like for me getting in in modern drummer here's a copy of my article because nice. um yeah, I'm a drummer, but I'm not a pro drummer, and I never went on the road, you know, and to be featured for what I've done here, it was just like, yeah, it was crazy and the best thing that's ever happened to me, probably, honestly, in my drumming career, you know? Yeah, and, you know, life, we, George and I talk a lot about, you know, just life journeys, and sometimes you, you know, you take a path that you maybe think it's not the path, or maybe you're you feel like you may be compromising something else, but when you really go with your gut instinct and you go with something that you're really passionate about and love, you can never be, you can never go down the wrong road because it's a, it's something that you really love and passion. So when you first saw that, that, that artwork and when you realize, Oh, I should not be sending, selling this, I should right. be collecting these, yeah. that moment, you know, it's, it's, that's the moment where brought you to modern drummer magazine. Yeah. You know, and so, so amazing. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it came about. So, obviously, Steve Smith came here, saw this place, and he has a lot of pull with modern drummers. So he he called them and he said, "Hey, he put me in touch with with the owner, David Frangioni." And I talked to him like over a year ago during COVID. He said, "Well, your place is great. We'll do an article someday." But he goes, "We're not sending anybody out because of COVID." I, okay, I understand that. That's great. So a couple of years went by, I didn't hear anything, and all of a sudden. I get a call from a, a lot of stuff had been happening at Modern Drummer. They kind of changed over some people and they hired a new editor in chief, um, mm. Mark Griffith. So Mark was going through files. He said, Oh, hey, I'm supposed to do this article. And Steve said, yeah, when are you going to go? And he goes, I don't know. I'll get there sometime. He goes, no, when are you going to go? This place is great. <laughs> you don't know what, but he, he wouldn't tell him anything. And Mark, called me up and he goes, um, I'm supposed to write an article. You have a drum museum? I said, yeah. And he said, and I told him to go to my Facebook page, you know, northofdrums.com, which takes you to my face. Well, he didn't go. He just, he just didn't go. And he said, well, I'll come up. He was, he was going on vacation in the Adirondacks. So he said, I'll tell you what, I'll write an article for you. I'll stop by on like a Friday night and we'll bang it out in a couple hours. And then I'll, I'll head out, you know, on to my next destination. I'll stay overnight in Oneon and I'll go up to the Adirondacks from there because he was coming from, I think, New Jersey. I said, great. So he comes on a Friday night at 6.30 and he calls me and said, can I come? And say? I said, yeah, great, whenever. He comes here. He walks through the door. <laughs> and he goes, just like George, he goes, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I said, well, didn't you look at my page? He goes, no, I specifically didn't look at your page because I didn't even want to do this. You know, so I, I just didn't even look because I don't like museums because you go and everything's behind glass and they're just like, oh, this is this, this is not, you know, and you can't play. I said, no, you can play everything in here. He goes, this is awesome. And guess, and so 
So I gave him my tour and I wished he turned his camera on because we did that for hours and played everything in here. And then he goes, wow. oh, I guess I should have been recording all that. So anyway, he was here till 12 <laughs> in the morning. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, but, I, but I, he wrote a great article, eight pages in Modern Drummer. So wow. Yeah. But we had a great time. You know, we he, he had he was blown away and we had a yeah. great time. And you know, as you know, you you've been here, George, as you come in, I'm like, hey, what do you want to play? What do you want to see? What do you want to learn? You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. an open discussion here. So yeah, George was uh was just I mean, he sent me pictures and he was just so blown away. And also another thing that I that I wanted to bring up as well is the generosity that you and Steve also showed George yes. and stuff, and that you know just the willingness to kind of uh, open the space up and hang out and and give the tour and all that. It was really just a, a really wonderful thing, and that's that makes the museum even so much more special, and it makes Steve special and musicians special and art and everything because that's part of what art is about. It's about sharing it with right, with right. others it's pointless to be anywhere else so you know the fact that he walked in and he thought that maybe you had like a room in the back that had a, a couple of <laughs> a couple of snares from like the 30s and he walked in and got blown away and spent all night you know i mean that that's kind of like a, a great thing you know that's that's what it's about well well that's what this museum is about it's a learning a place to learn about the instruments that you see in catalogs but you may never see in the field you know what i mean right and you right. can come here and actually play you can actually play them hear what they sound like hear, hear you know right. touch them feel you know it's yeah. a whole different thing than going to even PASIC where they have they have a lot of great drums on display but you can't touch any of them or play them you know wow. exactly yeah exactly. it reminds me a little of um joe bonamassa who's a big collect you know guitar collector and he has these literally these guitars that are worth some of them close to half a million dollars and he tours with them and he plays them. I've seen him live. I've seen him put out, bring out guitars that I know. I'm like, that yeah. guitar is like, but he says, you know, what's the point of having these wonderful yeah. instruments if they're not actually being used and shared, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I love it. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Um, two, th two things I wanted to ask you about. Number one, I wanted to know who are your personal drum heroes? Uh, you know, growing up, who did you listen to? Who did you try to emulate? You know, and then the second thing I also wanted to talk about, I know you have a CD as well for your, of your own group, so we can get into that uh, as well. Yeah, we'll talk about because that, well, yeah, because that goes with what he was just saying about playing instruments. But obviously, Buddy Rich, when I okay. listened to jazz, he, he was, you know, he's he's my absolute number one drum hero. Um, okay. And then Gene Group. And then if you go to rock drummers, um, that's tough because there's so many, but you know Neil Peart, of course. Right. You yeah. know um, yeah. John Bonham. You know all the ones you try to copy, you try to yeah. play like them. You know, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Especially, especially Bonham with Zeppelin. You know some of the, um, yeah. You know, yeah. Just a lot of those, a lot of those guys from that era. You know, uh, nice. um, yeah, Charlie Watts. You know. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah, you know, Stones and Beast of Burden. Who doesn't want to play that? It's great. And and it's a little harder than it really looks because he's kind of like he's just he's after that beat just a little bit. His yep. you know, just to yep. try to play, you know. Yep. You think yep. it is, it's there, but it's just like a little bit off a little bit off the way. But it is but it that's the song, you know, it's it's yeah. just different. Yeah, he hangs it back. He, he hangs it back. back. Like hangs yeah, it he back. just doesn't 
Because that's the kind yeah. of drummer. He was a jazz yeah. drummer, really. He was no rock drummer. He was right, really exactly. A oh, he was a jazz drummer, yeah. And, uh, you know, and so he's got that feel, you know, which is yeah. real smooth. But then he can rock out with the best of them. Honestly. Of course, like definitely. So, but that, course. That, so I like that because that's my blend, too. I like to play jazz, but I'm also a rock drummer. I like to play country music, even modern country. You know, I like some of that to play that. It's fun. It's fun music to play. But um, so getting back to our CD. So here's what happened. So I met this guy named Pete Jarvis, who didn't know a lot about vintage drums, but um, a friend of his did. He went to, uh, they, they both went to Patterson, um, New Jersey, uh, um, the New Jersey Percussion Ensemble at, at, at Patterson University. Um, and he was a teacher there professor of music he's also a composer and and pete jarvis is a genius he's a genius musician a genius composer he he's been on so many hbo tracks you know he does music for everybody for everything and he, he's a writer he writes music like crazy so he came here to visit my drum museum a, a while ago and he saw all my stuff and he's like this place is great and then he wanted a trap set so i helped him buy a painted head trap set and he just mm. said it changed his whole life in music and drumming, buying this trap set and learning about the sound effects and the whistles and all the stuff that we haven't talked about yet. So he calls me up one day, he goes, hey, he goes, I'm gonna write some pieces for snare drum for our ensemble, the New Jersey Percussion Ensemble. He goes, I won't be playing, but we'll have a, a guy that can play my music that I write. Would you be interested in uh, me coming up and we could record right at your place and we can pick eight snare drums or 10 snare drums out from your collection and record them. So wow. that's what he did. So we came in for a whole weekend, the New Jersey Percussion Ensemble. He brought a sound guy and he brought the player, Jesse. His name's Jesse, and who could play this stuff like crazy. And then I sat in on a few. Dan was also, Dan was the sound guy and he, he could also play drums. So we all, Pete, Dan, Jesse, and I also, I sat in and played some music with them, all drum yeah. stuff. And he recorded this CD. It's called Jarvis and Friends. There's a picture of my barn right there, if you guys can see oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> nice, and, nice. And what's cool about this CD is there's some snare drums on here that have been recorded now. And this you can get this on Amazon, Spotify. It's out. It's been released. Okay. There are snare drums on here that we that maybe have never been recorded before. There's a, I had right. just gotten a snare in Black Beauty, which is one of the rarest drums in the world. There's only 18 known. I have two in this museum that's wow. that's on this, that's on the, you got to play that i think george that's on the cd a, a wow. recording of black beauty so few were made that you know it's probably never been recorded or if it was nobody knew it was recorded so right, right. Um, it's important stuff you know it really is and uh, i'm sure we'll be back another time to do some more recording but but pete's a great guy and um he's just a genius composer so so that's really so cool because you think about these instruments that you know, have been sitting, you know, and they've been admired, but really what's the point, you know, the, but now it's been documented. Now they actually have a life that's going to continue. And, right. you know, I get, I get corny about it, but I start thinking about the actual item itself, having a, a joy about being able to create a sound that's now going to be emulated through the CD and through everyone can hear it. And it's, it's, it's just a, it's an important thing because it's not only the instrument, but it's also the time of when, you know, when it was created, what was happening in that during that mm -hmm. period. It's history. It's our history. It's the history of this uh, of this planet. And 
the drumming is really the oldest instrument. I mean, it is the oldest instrument of all instruments of everything, everything, you know, before anything, somebody was doing this. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, you know, and that, that's, that's an amazing thing. So I, I love that, that that's been recorded. Well, so well think about it. Think about a Stradivarius violin. Uh, the right. best ones are what they're, they're not sitting in museums. They're the ones that are sitting in museums actually aren't worth playing. They're played. They're they're lent out by investors to to a, a student in an or in a symphony who plays yeah. it because they have to be played. They have yes. to be played. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're 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 breathing. You know, they're alive. They're you mm -hmm. know they're made yeah. of wood and different. Uh, it's a breathing Absolutely. thing and needs to be played. I love okay. that. Can and you, you uh, play that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's that's like, yeah. That's like you know, it's funny because it, it all went by so fast. Right. You know, it's like you know, you probably there's not even like I would say what is it? It's not probably fifty people that have played it. Not yeah. even, but I'm going to show not you what even, it looks right. Like. Look at that. This Look at is that. it. So wow. it's beautiful. That is all engraved okay. and it's gold and it's beautiful and it's this that's is a rare. Like, yeah. Holy so, cow. Oh, yeah. Beauty, beauty. Oh. Yeah. And and like I said, it came out in the first catalog in 1928, and that was it. It never made another catalog. And so there could be more out there. There probably are, but we know like around less than 20. So if there's less than 20 of something, that's pretty rare. Where that's you take its, its, its competitor, which is also a beautiful drum, a Ludwig version of yeah. Black Dude, mm -hmm. older. Wow. Well, this was actually the same year, but they started making them a lot older. But there's probably, I don't know, two or three thousand to one of these. You oh, know? okay. Still a great drum, but you know, not quite as rare. rare. And they're obtainable, yeah. but they sound great too, by the way. But that's that's so awesome. That was also recorded that day, but they've been recorded because a lot of even Steve Smith has a beautiful black beauty that he he plays. He loves it. So yeah. Yeah. So we're we're at fifty-three minutes, if you can believe that. I wanted to, yeah, it's amazing. I wanted to just really yeah. quick there, a couple. There's a couple of little uh, sound effects that you have. Yeah, yeah. You, I wanted to you, actually, uh, yeah. play some of that stuff. Yeah. So in the 1920s, you'd go to a silent film or you'd go to a vaudeville show, and the drummer had to make all the sounds, every sound that was on that screen or in that play. So one of the one of the main ones that they had to do was a train. Think about a train coming on the track and. And George knows I have an actual full train sound effect here. I did that. That's how I am my it tour was... here at the museum. But, but we'll do we'll do a cool old train tin whistle here. Okay, so we'll play that for you. <laughs> that's amazing. But you know, like there, that, that sounds so good. Like I'm, I'm a filmmaker, so I use sound effects all the time for stuff. And that I couldn't find something that sounds that good. No, I'm paying for stuff. So I'll play one that everybody's heard. If you watched cartoons when you were a kid, this is a common one. And then this one's cool. This is a yeah, this is a acne cyclone. Ah, wow. And these are these are not toys, these are professional instruments sold through. The Ludwig Leedy and Slingerland catalogs and Walbury and catalogs back in that day. This is probably the best ratchet. Just think about somebody like cranking up something or a gear. Yeah. 
Oh man! They mounted to your bass drum, so you had a free hand to do that with. You could do it right, right. Yep. And I'll just do one more. This this one's pretty cool. They had a lot of animal. You had to make all the animal sound effects. So this one is a cow ball. You could use it as a duck thing, but. Wow, that's what I sound like in the morning <laughs> before my coffee. Um, that's amazing. You know, it must have been such a thrill to go to movies back then and see the guy, you know, in the corner somewhere kind of uh, doing all the, all this stuff. It must have been just a fun thing. I, I wish they would sort of bring that well, John, you can do it again. You can. Uh, they do this now. There's a whole silent film. Um, yeah, a revival. My, yeah, revival. My friend Nick White is the sound effects man. He has the most sound effects. He's, he's actually. Oh, wow. Uh, in movie. But he goes and he plays sound effects for a whole script for, for a movie. Like, yeah, a train so coming cool. out of track, a guy falling out a window, and he makes all those sounds. And they do it in Chicago. He goes in Chicago. And he is the sound effects guy, Nick White. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a good yeah, friend of mine. He's great. Yeah. That is so cool. So I feel like we're going to, we'd love to have you back at some point and, um, you know, break down some, uh, some more, especially the industry itself, because we didn't really touch upon the music industry, you know, and, uh, and drummers and the evolution of the drummers, not just to drum the drums themselves, but the styles and, and all that. I would love to dive into that at some point as well with you. Um, but yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, one of the things that we always ask our guests is at the end of, uh, of our, of our show is that, you know, we've had about two years of uh, a difficult time for all of us. Um, and there are people out there that are looking for something to do, especially music. A lot of people started picked up, the, you know, their instruments again and started playing, which actually was a positive of the whole thing. Do you have any any words or any uh, encouragement for anyone out there that's listening that might be still on the fence and trying to figure out what's their next move? Just, uh, you know, whatever money you can scrape up, buy an instrument, even if it's not the highest quality, and learn to play that instrument because it's life-changing. It's, you know, it gives you so many opportunities that you don't, you'll never have any other way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. You, you know, and John, and John knows this very well because I mean, you you actually had a snare drum, right? When you when you started playing, I didn't even have that. John knows that I I had a. No, I didn't even have a practice pad. I used to use the back of a cushion, and of from a from a chair and a basketball as my base, and that's how I learned. That's how I started with independence and yeah. all this stuff because it had the sound effects that I needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to play on pails and tin pans, honestly, with my yeah. snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> set up because we didn't have you know we also didn't have any money you know right exactly yeah, yeah. but you know, you know it's music it's just so important you know like i have two kids and i'm i'm very uh, when i'm in the car i'm always all right listen to this 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 part we were just listening to phil collins right and sure. and you know the drum doo -doo 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 -doo. Right. so yeah. i you know and me, i i go into the whole explanation of uh, of the drums <laughs> and phil collins and how i took my mother to go see him in the 90s mm -hmm. and it was yep. amazing. I, I want them to have that experience because it's life changing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say this about, about the museum. So yeah. people that don't even know anything about drums come here and they're like blown away. They love it. And my little tour, but you know, even somebody who doesn't play drums, 
they can play a drum. You can you can take a drum and you can right. even if you yes. play rhythms, they can get a sound out of it. You know what I mean? Right. So right. Right. drums are like universal, like you said. Like somebody can play a cowbell, play something. You know what I mean? You can play rhythms, and they can play yeah. some kind of rhythms. You can't play Buddy Rich, but you can play rhythms. Where right. like another kind, you hand me a trumpet, I can't even make any sound come out of the thing. You that's, know, but, that's a good point. Right. So drums are a good thing because you can play them and make a sound, even if it's not pretty, it's, you can still get something out of it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. So let me just give some information. This is, uh, where they can, uh, find your site. Um, y'all out there have to go check this out. Yes. Check out the museum. Yeah. I have not been yet. I'm jealous of George, but <laughs> I am going to, I'm in Nashville right now, but I will be heading there at some point and I will definitely be visiting because I think it's uh, it's just something that I have to see and I have to experience myself. And I'm very, very fortunate to have had you on the show. And um, like I said earlier, you know, you and Steve were just really, really nice and, and have been really just giving up your time and your expertise and your stories and everything. So we really, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and we'd love to have you back again. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you, you got it. All right. We'll be right back. Ooh. Wow. What a look at that. Just a, a whole education right there, you know? And I, I looked up and it was like 50 minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because <laughs> you, you, you could really go so deep. Well, that's into the that thing. Stuff. That's the thing. Yeah. And even when we were talking about Buddy Rich, it was just like that could be like a whole. Yeah, you thing. could do a whole show on that. You yeah. On that, you know? So, but man, what, a, what an amazing uh, collection. What an amazing person that's, you know, really doing something that I know it's going to go on for a long time and it's really going to educate people on something that, you know, unfortunately, you know, we have all these machines now we have TikTok, and we have all these other things that people forget, you know, this is yeah. where it really started. This exactly. is where, where all this stuff that we hear now came from what his collection and, and yep. that that's, that's amazing. So uh, we're very happy that he was here. Uh, happy birthday, George. Enjoy Thank your you day, sir. your Thank evening. You. And, uh, Take care. Um, you know, 25 years old. It's hard to believe. I know. Um, right? Yeah, it's incredible. You know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. You look great. I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in. We appreciate y'all. We'll see you all again next week, uh, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can visit us, of course, at counterpartshow.com. If you have, if you want to reach out to us uh, for George Batista, John Henry Soto, Counterparts, thank you very much. See you next week. And as always,